The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. I had a um, I had an interesting moment this morning on my commute. You uh, did? That I actually haven't even shared with you yet. No, uh, you haven't. You know, we talk about... And people have actually asked, somebody ironically asked the question, this is me teeing it up here. Somebody asked the question, hey, any fun stories from getting pulled over? So, uh, yeah, Uh-oh. you see where this is going. Um, and I've also joked about driving an orange teenager's car. All of this converged okay. this morning. So let me, let me tell this story. So I, I, I headed out. <laughs> yeah, I headed out to my, uh, my on-ramp for the freeway, which Paul knows how much I know and love this on-ramp. It is actually perfect. <laughs> I've because told you, you should buy cones. And I, just I should put, put a there. cone in at the apex. I'd be curious, actually, if I put a cone at the apex of my on-ramp, how long it would sit there before somebody would move it. It may be a I while. I think they'd I'm stay there the a long time and you just click the cone every time you get on the freeway. I, I it's, think you it's should. It's a fantastic – it's a fantastic increasing radius corner. It kinks right up front and then it That's opens what toward you the freeway. For your birthday. <laughs> I got Seriously, you traffic yeah. cones to put at yeah. the corners Seriously. of your but, apexes on your favorite on-ramp. <laughs> but it's that reality. You joked about it last podcast, always apexing. And we are thinking I about did. making that a shirt for yeah. those of you that are talking about it. Great but, response but to that, it's, funny it's a, enough. Yeah, it's a, it's, a perfect, it's a perfect on-ramp because it allows me to practice heel-toe downshift. I mean, I'm always trying to practice anyway. But oh, yeah. you can come yeah, in yeah. straight. You can heel-toe downshift into second. You can clip the apex, and you're out with speed. Unless, of course, you have the guy in front of you that thinks merging means go 45 miles an hour until the 18-wheeler moves out of your way. Oh, which that is guy everyone. typically ruins. Yeah. yeah, that guy typically ruins the on-ramp. But every now and then I get lucky. This morning I got lucky. Okay. And I came barreling down this on-ramp, and I entered the freeway right behind a car hauler full of okay. like big SUVs. Right, right. And we're getting to that point in Utah where – it's springtime. The roads have been covered in stuff all winter, and so there's a lot of stuff to kick up. So I did not want to be behind that guy. So I just kept right. my foot in it so I could get by him because he was in front of me. So I could get by him. And right as I got past the cab was the first time I looked down at my speed, <laughs> and I was doing 87. Now, I wasn't – again, I wasn't trying to do 87. I came off the on- on-ramp with a lot of speed, but I wasn't trying to get to 87. Well, I was just trying to get on on the freeway and past the 18-wheeler. Got so momentum. 87, so I back got off. momentum. That's what so, Exactly. Exactly. Hey, guess what? I had an FRS going fast. There it was. So I'm, I'm off the I'm off the gas now, and I'm slowing back down. And uh, I get around 80 ish, and I'm thinking, okay, I need to start setting the cruise control a little bit low 80. And I'm at 80, high 70s. And by this point, I'm a mile from the house. I've worked okay. into the fast lane. Okay. And then I notice in my mirror, is that a white charger back there? No. No. That might be a white charger. So I pull into the center lane. It is a white charger. He passes the guy in the center lane and then tucks in behind me. At this point, I'm doing like 73. Oh, man. And then it was Christmas tree. It oh, was Christmas tree lights. Man. Oh, man. And when that happens, look, look, I, and I had the thought I knew we were doing podcasts tonight. I had the thought I was like, well, we talk about it every now and then. You just get pulled over and it just kind of resets you for, I really ought to slow down. Though, honestly, <laughs> I wasn't thinking, uh, how fast can I go this morning? I just got on the freeway. Sure. So <laughs> That's welcome he, to the morning, he, right? Exactly. Exactly. So when the lights went on, I, I'm, I'm a guy that, that I don't mess around with that at all. The minute the lights go on, I find my first opportunity. I get over quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So I, did, I got right over. He got right in behind me. He gets out. 
And I've reached that place in my life. You and I have been joking about the old man joke of get off my lawn. I've re- I'm reaching that place in life where, unfortunately, a lot of the police, or maybe fortunately, I don't know, a lot of the police officers are now younger than I am, at least the ones that seem to work when I see them. But anyway, so I'm sitting oh, there man. in my orange teenager's car, and he walks up and he leans in the door, and I can tell he's surprised that it's me and not somebody you know, half his age, right. you know, driving the car. Right. And of course he, he said to me, he said, Hey, look, I got you going 80 in 65. Uh, you know, any reason for that? And I said, no, I just didn't realize it was going that fast, which is actually true. Okay. Uh, so anyway, cause he's so, heard that um, one before so he, a zillion times, you know, it's what everybody course, says. Of course. Oh, was but that I'm not going to, did I do that? Oh no, yeah. I had no what, idea. What am I going to what am I going to do, create an excuse? I know. So he asked all the typical stuff, license, registration, whatever, and I just, you know, I'm always very nice with officers. It's the only way you can be, the only way you should be. Handed him all the stuff. He goes back to his car, and I'm just sitting there going, you know what? Okay, it's been a long time. Give me the ticket. I'll take it right on the nose. And he walks back, and he goes, all right, I'm handing you this. That's a warning. What? Just need you to do me a favor and slow down. Gave me a warning. You're Clock kidding me. 80, gave me a warning. I think it was one of those moments of old guy drives teenager's car. I'm going to give him a break. Plus, he also says to me, he goes, do you still live at this address? Which he knows is about a mile and a half from where we're sitting. Okay? It's not like weird out of towner or guy being difficult or person racing cross country. You can almost see my house from where I was pulled over. Oh, my gosh. Oh my so gosh. kudos to you, officer. Thank you. You were Honestly, you were much nicer to me than was necessary. I mean, I was, I was dead to rights. So he gave me a warning, which I appreciated, and I promptly drove to, to work at 75 in a 65. Yes, I did. <laughs> exactly. But anyway. Um, Two yeah, miles an hour but, faster but, than I was before. But, no. of course, everybody was driving at least that fast. So, you know, I was in good company at that point. It was just the on-ramp blast this morning, which was very fun. And I actually heel-toed perfectly right up until there were Christmas tree lights. And there's my uh, got stopped this morning story. It's one of those rare times in life when I actually think, hmm. I'm glad I'm not 25, you know, because I, I'm certain if I was 25, I would have gotten a ticket this morning. Oh, I, so I, I, was, I got away with it in that regard. I was going to say, I, I agree. And uh, he also find a, found a clean driving record, too, which is very helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that definitely played into some stuff. So Hugely so. No, hugely so. Um, it's, it's a great reminder. And, Chad, I know you're listening as well. It's important to respect our officers because oh gosh, yes. they are people, and I've had frustrations, but it's been my fault for speeding. I, I, I admit that. And just the, the few things he's mentioned to us as far as stuff that goes on, and both Todd and I are going, wait, I, that kind of stuff happens even around our area? Well, <laughs> sure. Sure it does. I mean, sure, yeah. he's just you know on top of all the latest stuff, all the stuff going down, which is just crazy mm-hmm. stories. But these guys' lives are on the line every day. They don't know what they're going to walk into, and they're putting themselves out there, and they're hardworking individuals. So, yeah, yeah just yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because kudos to them for, for being awesome, but they're doing their job. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I agree, but I, <laughs> you and I came off a fast 
weekend. <laughs> we did. We did. We came off I a mean, very fast weekend at fast. driving the Alpha and the M3 in the middle of nowhere. Just saying. I, but that could have, you, I hit that apex perfect this you know, morning. I hit that apex. I was on did it. Did you tell him Downshift that? Was good. Did you see the cones I back there? I, I nailed the apex. Don't. Is there any appreciation for – can you write exactly. on the ticket speeding, but, man, were those apexes clean? I mean, <laughs> man. Too, too fast, but the driving was spectacular. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't really work. I can see the judge reading that back and going, what happened here now? What? I don't get it. What's all this now? Anyway. So, yeah, so that was, that was my morning, which started off, it was just a, just a reality check. That's what it was. It was just a reality check of, okay, all right, fair, fair. <laughs> I do find I love it, it somewhat satisfying, though, to, get a, to, to see the printout that the officers have, because, you know, they have a printout now. They've sent it, the officers have. It sounds ridiculous, but I just like being able to see that when they have car color, it says orange. I just love that it says orange. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, it's not silver or white or black. I pulled over an orange car this morning. Orange. I just, it's ridiculous, but I love it. So obviously we talk a lot about taking good care of your car. I mean, we joke with you about certified Paul owned and stuff. But, you know, (laughs) there's various people for everybody that's listening. Some of you are only under warranty and never work on your car. Some of you are taking engines out for fun. But I will say this. If you're taking care of your car at all, we recommend it. You've got to worry about your oil changes. However... Here's the big weird thing about oil changes. You and I have talked about this. Mm. The 3,000 miles, you have to do your oil change. Everybody seems to know that. Even if you don't know much about cars, every 3,000 miles, get your oil changed. Um, No, you don't. Yeah, it's that's, down to what your manufacturer says. Absolutely. I feel like that's more of a marketing gimmick than anything. You should look at the manufacturer's recommendation in your owner's manual. For every car, it doesn't matter what you mm-hmm. have, but you should look yep. at that recommendation, and then you should use AMSOIL because – Their synthetic Mm -hmm. oils give you 75% more engine protection against horsepower loss and wear than the industry standard requires, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, talk about finding a bar and and exceeding it. Uh, I'm not sure how that test is done. No kidding. They're even talking about how their signature series oil can last up to 25,000 miles. Don't do that, by the way. Whatever your manufacturer (laughs) recommendation is, it's not 25,000 miles. So that means this oil is outlasting that, which is awesome from a protection perspective. Absolutely. And they have the manufacturer recommendations for the Porsche A40 standard, which is fantastic. (laughs) And you brought it back to Porsche. Of course you did. I I had to to throw that in there. Of course you did. Amsoil are friends and sponsors of the show because they're obsessed with quality just like Todd and I are. You've heard Todd and Mm. I talk about the quality that we go to and the lengths that we go to for just the filmmaking procedures. Well, that's why Amsoil is part of our show now. Yeah, and as, as you're looking for uh, your car, you want to know what oil to use, they've got a great website, amsoil.com. You can look up your specific car. They'll say this specific oil. Any independent mechanic can do it for you, or if you're DIY, you do it yourself. That's an even better way to get your Amsoil. Yeah, they're making so it easy. So definitely pursue them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Amsoil devoted to protection and uh, w- with us here on the show, which is even better. Well, uh, as you can tell, we're big into stories, and we thought for this podcast we would just – Answer questions because you guys continually write such great ones. We continually Mm -hmm. thank you for them. And we just thought we'd get right to them and do some more questions and have a conversation more and tell some stories because, man, like I said, the questions every week, every two days or three days, they come in and sometimes we can't get to all the ones that we want to. So no car debates for this podcast. We are just jumping right in. Lots of fun stories to tell. And uh, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be a little bit different little bit of a shakeup, uh, but uh, I was just thinking about your story when I had the 928. I was stupider, mm-hmm. younger, 
And uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say yeah. ballsier. I would say um, less discreet about it, I guess. That's, that's the superb way to put it. Well done. Well stated. You yes. know what I mean? Um, you you mm-hmm. don't change lanes often and quickly. You're still going just as fast. You just ease into the next lane so as not to draw attention to yourself with quick moves of the car. Yeah. Or stuff like or that. Or don't drive an orange car. That's problematic or as well. Or don't drive yes, an going. orange car. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I got pulled over one time. This was California Highway Patrol, and it was a rather attractive female officer. And I handed her my license with the get-out-of-jail-free card from my Monopoly set. And she laughed. <laughs> and she still gave me the ticket. Of course she did. <laughs> but she didn't write her phone number heard... on the ticket. I was hoping for her phone number, but that Oh, I hadn't heard that part happened. of the story. I can't, That's hysterical. <laughs> that's really funny. I hadn't heard that I'd part. read that's that great. somewhere a long time ago. I, I'd read somebody else did this. They carried the get-out-of-jail-free card from their Monopoly set in their wallet just in case, just oh to try to gosh. a little bit of levity with the officer and just slip that in there with the license. And so I did. For a long time, I carried this card around with me. And I, I gave that to her, and she's like, what's this? Ha, ha, ha. Very funny. <laughs> Here's your $300 <laughs> ticket and slow down. Here comes your ticket anyway but, and stop driving so fast. Yeah, that is funny. But you actually made my day better, so thank you very much. Uh. <laughs> That's pretty classic. That's very classic. Well, yeah, we have so many good questions. I mean, you've actually got a big weekend ahead of you. You're headed to the Long Beach Grand Prix, and so that's kind of consuming you. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I'm still doing TV stuff. Uh, we had uh, one of you wrote in actually tonight and just thanked us for not <laughs> giving up on everything else while we go to TV. That's important to us. It's important to us to try to do all of this. Yeah. But that means that some stuff every now and then, it's it's a bit overwhelming. Uh, also, we did have a question from uh, from Rick on, on Facebook. said, he takes it the topic Tuesday's tanked. Well, this, thank you for your alliteration. However, uh, they didn't tank. It's just that the Topic Tuesdays, and we want to do those. We still want to do more. We have a ton of topics we want to cover. They just take prep time, and yeah. prep time's yep. been too precious. And so we want to actually you know, think about the questions and talk to each other, which you don't typically do before the podcast when we do car debates. We want to kind of interact with each other and know, okay, how are we going to tackle this topic? And it, we just haven't had the time to do that prep, so we put the Topic Tuesday idea on a little bit of a pause. It will resurrect. I promise you we haven't forgotten about it. We were actually just talking about it this weekend. We're like, we need to do another one, but it's just been so hard to find the the time we want to do those right and give them give them credit. So that will come back. But so many good questions. We just thought we'd dive into a few. I have many, many, many. That I'm I just noted, <laughs> I'm scrolling I as well. Didn't know if one already struck you. I'm jumping right in because there's lots of Porsche stuff in here. We just uh-huh. got to start off with Navid's question about Todd. What's one thing that Lotus should change in its cars and why? Mm, good. And back at me, Paul, what's the same thing with Porsche? And he's kind of asking That's us good. to, you know, pee in the pool a little bit, you know, sort of yeah. kind of give it to him. There no car manufacturer is perfect and I am No. I am raising my hand reluctantly, but I admit that too. I love Porsches, but they're not perfect mm-hmm. either. So He's wanting to know what would we change, why, what uh, I mean, what do you think about Lotus and what do I think about Porsche? I'm still mulling this as I'm yeah. reading and thinking I love this about question. this. I noticed it too. <laughs> yeah, it's a great one. It's a really good one. Ay, ay, ay. Um, I'll, I'll take I'll take on the Lotus part of it real okay. quick. I thought about right. this earlier. Here, here's here's the thing, Navid. I 
I am clearly, if you listen to the podcast for five minutes, you know this, I am not normal in the world of car buyers. Uh, I don't I don't care if it's raw. I mean, the Lotus Elise, obviously, that is about as raw as interior as it gets. Uh, that doesn't bother me. You know, I'm the guy that, okay, if I could have a BAC mono and drive that every day, I would be that guy. I, I admit that I'm not normal. Yes. But in into that world has been inserted the fact that I'm married and I have a son. And so I have to take him to school, pick him up from school. Oh, look, I like to go skiing. Wow, those skis are really long. Hmm, I want to go biking. Uh, oh, look, my son's in the car and he wants to get drive through. I mean, these are just realities of life. This is why we talk about all this stuff on the podcast and on our videos as well. I mean, this is the everyday part of life that just mm-hmm. happens with yeah. cars. I obviously love Lotuses for their raw reality. The problem with them is, and, and look, we Paul and I this last week talked about this in relation to the Lotus Elise. I love the car. <laughs> yeah. And there's a part of me that still goes, hmm. Well, I'll, I'll give you the full thought, train of thought. The full train of thought I had was there's a part of me that wishes that the Alpha 4C was as cheap as the Lotus because the 4C would be a serious contender for me. And Paul was surprised to hear that because he knows I prefer the dynamics of the Elise. And I do. And I prefer the stick shift of the Elise, which I do. But the Alpha has got a layer of usability, slight, I grant you, but a layer of usability over the Elise. And and if you're thinking hardcore enthusiasts, which I kind of am, you're going to think blasphemy, but follow me for a second. It's got pockets to store stuff. It actually has cup holders that fit things. It's got an air conditioner that works. Yeah. When when I pick yeah. up my son from school and he's got a backpack and a bottle of water and this kind of stuff, they, these things matter, okay? As much as I love the Elise and as much as I love Lotuses in general, what would help them, and I think the Evora 400 is getting there, by the way, but what would help sure, them sure. is to think about a layer of, okay, for let's just go with the Evora for eighty thousand dollars, what luxury items would be assumed? I'm not saying Lotus, please do all of them. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying what are the things if I've got a buyer shopping for eighty thousand dollars? What are the things that should be assumptions in the usability of the interior? That's a place that Lotus I think could help themselves because you get in you get in a first gen Evora and it's nicer than the Elise, but that's not saying much. And still there's those usability questions that just exist. You would sell. I mean, the, the, the truth is the, the great thing about Porsches in this regard, they're not as raw and interesting, I don't think, to drive as the Lotuses. But they do this part of it much, much better. Sure. You could buy sure. any Porsche and just use it all the time. And when you need, I know it's blasphemy, when you need a cup holder, when you just want Hey, that air conditioner works all the time. Oh, these are nice heated seats. These kind of things that are more life has invaded my car driving world, Porsche succeeds and excels, and Lotus sometimes gets there. I mean, the number of of Elises I've seen online that say air conditioner doesn't currently work. Well, when it does work, it barely works. (laughs) Right. It's it's barely blowing lukewarm air in -hmm. that case. Yeah, I can see and, that. And I say it from a from a acceptability standpoint. Look, I'll go one more step. Why are Ferraris not sold with manual transmissions anymore? Because a lot of people that wanted to buy Ferraris, I hate to say it, didn't want to shift for themselves. Yeah. So Ferrari yeah. went, okay, you don't have to anymore. We made a great gearbox, so it doesn't matter. I think that Lotus would have a little bit more acceptability and a little bit more broad range of, of – financial success in the market of the build that I hope there's rumors of their SUV. If they sell an SUV, they're going to have to think this way. And that could do for them what the Cayenne did for Porsche. 
Hmm. I'm still thinking this through. So bear with me as I, as I parse my words here, bear with me. Okay. Okay. I will say Porsche is not perfect, but Porsche is pretty awesome. Porsche is pretty awesome. (laughs) I'm thinking of a lot of examples. I'm thinking of Le Mans 2016. Do you remember when Toyota was in the lead and mm-hmm. they lost the lead after 24 hours with five minutes to go because the mm-hmm. car failed. And yeah. Porsche yeah. was in a very, very distant second place. I mean, yeah. Yeah. They, were, they were five minutes ahead or more, I think, in this they race. They weren't going to come Toyota from behind in a, if correct. everybody kept running. You're correct. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Toyota was way out front, deservedly so. And so when the car broke and they coasted to a stop and then – Ultimately, the Porsche whipped by and won the race for the 18th time, I believe. Mm, whatever it was, yeah. Whatever it was, whatever. 17th, 18th, somewhere in there. It's a lot. I mean, more than any other manufacturer. You know, a lot of heartbreak as, you know, to be expected mm-hmm. for the Toyota team. And, you know, they, Definitely. Were, they were congratulated by every team in the paddock and a lot of heartbreak. And this tiny, cold part of me thought, yes, they deserve to win, but they didn't because – Ultimately, reliability still has to be there. You still cannot win mm-hmm. based on those good mm-hmm. intentions and the fact that you were way out front. And Porsche was sure. going to get beaten sure. soundly. I mean, beaten. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. you know what? True. A really respectable second place. Kudos to Toyota. They've got great people and great racing programs. Yeah. But the car broke. And reliability still has to be up there. And it's a test of car and driver. The car has to has to <laughs> – you know, continue working to cross mm-hmm. that finish line. And I think, all right, is that cold? And I don't know. I didn't want it to be, but I still think, all right, well, the car, Porsche kept running. Toyota didn't. I hate yeah, to tell you, yeah. but that's the difference. Not that but, Toyotas aren't that way. I, I would expect, you know, more reliability than Porsche, to be honest, you know, in a weird way. But but, but how is this a, a Porsche need? I'm, I'm confused. So I, Porsche's I, won it, winning in this story so far. Yes. So I come back to... <laughs> You know, the reliability, well, that's there. I come back to an offering of both, you know, as you're talking about, cars that they just work, cars that meet the needs of enthusiasts. They do offer manual transmission still. They've not gone the Mercedes route or Ferrari or, well, we just don't make manual transmissions. Now, granted, the GT3 issue where, you know, enthusiasts kind of had to scream, bring the manual back, but Mm -hmm. they did. They did. Yeah, yeah. And Mm -hmm. they make really expensive cars and they keep going that direction. I wish for something that would reach uh, the enthusiast more in the wallet, I guess a less expensive Mm. car Mm. without, uh, without denigrating the Porsche brand and what it stands for. On one hand, that's good. good. They, they are aspirational cars. On the other hand, even one of the executive VPs of Porsche have said, our cars are not spec cars. Don't buy it just to hang on to, even though people are, and they've seen a massive increase yeah, in yeah. Porsche prices and all this stuff. And he's going, stop it. Drive your cars. Just mm-hmm. enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And to the man, Porsche buyers, myself included, have found much friendlier, more welcoming, open Porsche enthusiasts over Ferrari guys. Now, if there's somebody with yeah, a Ferrari, typically. correct me. I, I would like to be wrong. But generally speaking, sure. it's the Porsche guys who are most welcoming. And so I think about all this, and they, they have a great offering. I wish, like I said, they, they weren't owned as much as they are by Volkswagen. I wish they remained independent. But to survive and continue product, yeah. to continue yeah. the 911, 
they have to build all these other models that make them money to be able to, uh, you know, build the enthusiast cars that we love, the Cayman and the 911. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they've, they're in a well, well refined place. I hope they continue seeking the technology that will enable the connection that we love, meaning Mm -hmm. electric steering racks. The fact that you and I noted, well, there's just a raw feel in my, Former 2007 Cayman S that, man, yeah, and that gen, feel, yeah. the way it mm-hmm. connects you to the road, that where did that go in my generation? It's fabulous. It's even faster and it just destroys the road. But a little bit of that yeah. got lost, we admit. Sure. It's still awesome. as well. But, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, where are I, – I hope technology doesn't, quote, unquote, drive us into that direction mm-hmm. where it will continue to be lost. I don't think so. I don't think Porsche has an autonomous future. I've – you know, that's not the brand. It's all about the enthusiast. Yeah, fair. But they've got fair. to sell cars to make the enthusiast cars. I, yeah. I'm ready to be you know, corrected here. And and like I said, there's not perfect dynamics. You know, I, I won't give away the Macan and AMG GLA review. You'll have to watch that. Yeah, yeah. We've got some different comments there. But I, I'm, I'm waffling. I mean, the options that Porsche does, the... You know, all those kinds of things. It's absurd. It's absurd, yeah. And I admit, you know, lusting after Porsches that are, you know what, they just shouldn't cost that much. From the late 80s, they shouldn't cost that much. Come on, people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's going on? Well, I want to connect with something you said that I actually actually fully agree with. It's never going to happen, but I fully agree with it. They are a broad enough car company now that I would love to see – follow my full train of thought here. But I would love to see Porsche's GTI. Because that, and I say that because when you get in even a base Golf, the thing that Volkswagen does really well with the Golf, especially up to the GTI, is you sit in that car and you just think, "This is really nice. It's got a good interior. It feels yeah. well made. I like yeah. the materials." Even if you bought yourself the base Golf, so with that thinking in mind, with their connection to Volkswagen, what would the thirty to thirty-five thousand dollar Porsche be? I'd love for it to still be rear-wheel drive, but what if you took? And I'm just I'm I'm literally thinking out loud here. What if you took the Cayman chassis and you made something else of it for 30, 35 grand. Go directly after the Miata instead of, you know, twice the cost of a Miata. And so it doesn't come in base Porsche flavors with 30,000 of options available. It comes as a $30,000 version and a $40,000 version. These are the options on those two cars done. I'd love to see that car. I don't think they'll ever do it, but that would be fascinating to see what would Porsche do Thinking in the GTI realm, I'm not even necessarily suggesting a hatch, but just in that realm of car, it would be fascinating. I mean, what's the new version of the 356? What's the new version of the 550 Spider that is the light, lightweight, the, stripped down? The 914. Yeah, or the, the 914. 914. That's a updated. great one. Yeah. That's a great yeah. one. Or even a car that to compete against cool. the FRS that is like the uh, the mm-hmm. 944. Even mm-hmm. the 924, which was not originally a Porsche design. I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's there's that stuff that could lean, lean on, that. but they're just they're way out there. As mm-hmm. you know, as far as expensive cars are concerned, they're just they're way out there. I admit that. I guess that's the imperfection, mm-hmm. right? They're just <laughs> so far away from <laughs> what most people can afford. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, and the, but but you also brought up the options, and I agree with that. The Porsche options catalog is it. Frankly, it's ridiculous. They they <laughs> yes. offer some great things, but they have taken, I think, too much of a book out of the Ferrari option catalog. Yeah. It's just yeah. you know here's yeah. here's your car. Here are the options. 
let's simplify this. You know, it's just, it's astounding. Uh, Luigi Guzman wrote in and said, quick question for me. He has, I'm sorry to hear this, man. His FRS got T-boned. Yeah. He describes it as a Todd spec FRS. So I'm guessing that means you've got a, uh, a header and the open flash tablet. But um, he's asking what he does if it's totaled. Does he get another one? Or does he go into something? Get another one and transfer the parts, or does he get another, or does he get something else? Luigi, I'm going to say the first thing is because you, you mentioned you love this car. My first thing for you is we've talked with this before. If a if a car gets taken from you, I feel like that's the exception to our just move on rule. Okay, it gets taken from you because you loved it this morning and somebody totaled it and you don't have it this afternoon. I, I feel like if if you don't feel like you're done with that car yet. Why not get another one if you can afford to? Now, well, hopefully your car isn't totaled. If it isn't totaled, hopefully they can fix it correctly. Our friend Nate in Chicago had this exact same thing happen with his FRS, and luckily he thought it was going to be totaled. He went and had his other car, his new car, non-FRS car, picked out, and then the insurance company called and went, by the way, we're fixing your car. So he had to reset his brain, <laughs> yeah, but no he bought kidding. a bunch of parts for it. I'm calling you out, man. He bought a bunch of parts for it for its homecoming, as he called it. So now he has all kinds of things for his FRS. But Luigi, I would say... If you don't feel done with that car, then why not get another one? Having said that, I am going to reiterate what we said before. You don't have to dislike a car to get rid of it. So if you if this is an opportunity for you to step on and you're mentally okay with that, fine. But since it was taken, I say get another one. Why not? Mm. Yeah, I like that. I mean, if you love it, why? I mean, you could change, but it seems like he's got a lot invested in this area and still is, you know... And he's he's still emotionally not, connected yeah, to. A, I don't want to get rid of this car yet. On. Yeah, you know, you you can you can have a car you love and still feel like I want something else. I mean, I'm kind of there with my FRS. I love it, and there's a part of me still going, okay. I kind of feel like it's time to move on, and I'm thinking about what and how would that happen. And yet, every time I drive my car, I love it. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm already in that mental kind of move on place. Luigi wasn't. It, the car got wrecked. So okay, I get where you are. I get where you are. So wrenching us over to Buicks, which we love to talk about, said nobody ever. <laughs> yeah, all the time. This is the Buick pocket. No, wait, no, that's wait, not right. No, that's not right. Well, uh, we've got a question on Instagram from Ty Stevens 26 asking his thoughts on the new Buick Regal just released. Wish the U.S. got the non-rugged version of the wagon here, and I'm looking at the photos here. This is the 2018 Buick Regal Sportback and Tour X wagon from the 2017 New York Auto Show that's going on in April. I am looking at this car. I don't quite know the backstory yet. I know that uh, we all do. They're huge in China. I'm not big in Japan. I'm big in China. So I'm, I'm looking at uh, a few of the photos here, and I'm noting straight off the bat this ruggedized version is what the Audi A4 Allroad is trying to do. And then mm-hmm. I reach this photo of this wagon thing with a kayak on top. Yep. I've never associated kayaking with Buicks, ever. (laughs) Buick, now with more kayaks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What? And it's got the large fender flares. So here's something I learned early on as a designer, that the emphasis of the fenders, and this this came from Kawasaki, and talking about okay. SUVs and off-road vehicles, the emphasis and the okay. shape that you put on the fenders can increase or decrease the ruggedized look of the vehicle. Just that alone, sure. without any other styling. Sure. So if you really emphasize huge, oversized fenders and you know the style of them, the shape, all that kind of stuff, that might speak to 
hey, this has more capability or less capability. And you can mm-hmm. see that very thing going on right here on this Regal wagon. And a design element that pops out to me is right at the top of the arc, the top of the wheel arch opening. There's a lot of black plastic, again, very A4 all road, but a tiny shape. It's a tiny cutout there mm-hmm. in the sheet mm-hmm. metal, yeah, sort it. of like a hot yep. dog shape. Car designers yep. are constantly looking at everything else. And this comes directly from the Range Rover Evoque that we've seen. It's been out for a few years. Mm-hmm. You see that exact design element on rangies that That's speak good. to that flattened flattened rug, rugged circle you're yes. very right i had see i hadn't seen it now i can't unsee it well done you can't very unsee good. it but it speaks to the hey we're mostly an on-road luxury vehicle but we do have some off-road capability lurking mm, mm. yeah we're yeah. seeing the repositioning of buick right here which is fascinating and i was talking with a friend here looking at the interior and uh you know both of them, both of us are talking about the the nav screen right in the middle, and she said, "Well, that's going to be dated in about three, two, one. Yeah, yeah. It, it already looks that way. I mean, good try, but this is where we're at now. We want Buick to push it further. It's good, but Buick yeah, is searching but- for a design element here. They're they're where Kia and Hyundai were ten years ago now because hey, they've gotten popular." What's our look? What are we breaking into? What are we redefining ourselves mm-hmm. as? Cadillac went through okay. these growing pains. Uh, lots of car companies do. They don't have the, you know, must have the kidney grills, must have the Hoffmeyer kink, you know, all these kinds of things that BMW yeah. has or whatever. So they're, I'm seeing growing pains right now. I'm not seeing a cohesive, that's a Buick, because that could be anything, really. Yeah, but I... I, I got to come to its defense, though. I think this is fantastic looking. I applaud Buick for not just spitting out another five-seat uh, mid-sized SUV. Good on you for tackling. Look, I actually think this is almost more of a gamble than if Buick had done a rear-wheel drive sports car, which we all know from our discussions would not sell in volume. You went with a wagon, a full-on wagon, yeah. not a kind of a wagon. We went wagon wagon. Now, I've also seen the photos, actually, Car and Driver's got some great ones of the non-rugged version. This looks sleek and awesome and modern. I love the look of this. I hope we get the non-rugged version in the U.S. I'm not holding my breath, but I hope we do. It's talking about an all-wheel drive model with nearly 300 pound-feet of torque. Interesting. Uh, this, This story is a good story. Now, enthusiasts everywhere that have always and I am also calling out car journalists first if we're going to get all excited about wagons somebody's got to go buy this but (laughs) at the same time how much more interesting is this I think than the constant parade of mid-size small CUV SUVs it's essentially an egg with a slight ride height increase this is so much more interesting but it is going to suffer in the U.S. from the Oh, but it's a wagon. Have you looked at it? It's this is a great looking wagon. I I am okay. shocked at this from Buick. I think the stats on it are really interesting. I mean, I would have expected honestly, I would have expected 220 horsepower and 180 pound feet of torque. No, 300 pound feet of torque in a nice looking family wagon. I'm sorry. When are we driving this? That's, hmm. I think this is good news. I really do. Hmm. I'm liking the ruggedized version more, personally, but I'm not really? feeling like the styling works on the sedan. I do agree with you on the wagon here. I'm I'm digging the wagon, and 
I think what I'm hearing you say is this is a throwdown, the resurgence, maybe if they do bring it to the U.S., that this is, uh, yeah, useful. Wagons are good. This could be useful. Well, I mean- you end up with you end up with you grab a, a Volvo uh, the their their wagon uh, sixty or ninety you grab an all road and you grab this and you grab an outback and you go drive the heck out of them we talk about which one's best and why and one of them's a Buick really <laughs> I mean uh, that's that fascinates me that story right there and I also think it's interesting that in the sedan version which I agree with you I don't think works as well something's but off they've done that there, proportionally they've done that prior mazda 6 styling thing you know chance had a uh they had a mazda 6 and it was yeah, the right. sedan that is actually a hatchback so is this it's a sedan but that's actually a hatchback so that completely changes what is required from a styling perspective i don't like it nearly as much as the look of the wagon but I think it's also fascinating that they decided to go with not a traditional sedan offering, a hatchback sedan offering, which I don't think I've ever seen other than that Mazda 6 generation. So that's pretty cool, too. I mean, I, honestly, kudos. To, this is a sentence that I've never uttered. Are you ready? <laughs> kudos to Buick for doing something this bold. There it is. Wow. I mean, because usually I see Buicks and all I see is a rolling apex. I mean, they're rolling chicanes. I, I, that's just something to cut off on the freeway. <laughs> it's just. I mean, we liked we liked the prior Regal, which of course was an Opal, and we didn't get the the all the full coffee version of that. But uh, this is hey, you know what? I'm intrigued. I genuinely am. Mm. All right, I'll give it. I'll give it that. A wagon, yes. Sedan. Ugh. Proportions I, are bit off. This, the sedan's not working for me. The wagon's working for me like crazy. Put a look. They're never going to do this, but put a uh, put a, a somewhere in the GM lineup V8 in this and a six speed, and I like this better already than the CTS V wagon. That's never going to happen. I'm I'm completely dreaming here. But if we we talk about Franken cars every now and then, yeah, we do. Let's take a let's take a V8 from somewhere else in the GM lineup and a six speed, and let's make that car hmm. awesome. Hmm. All right, jumping into more questions off Instagram from Photobatic about the 124 Abart. He said, I feel like you've talked about this already mm-hmm. maybe, but when are we getting some wheel time with this new uh, the Fiat 124 Abart? And speaking of such, mm-hmm. makes him wonder about exhaust noises as well. Well, yeah, us too. We've got plans over the summer to drive the 124 Spider, not the Abart yet, uh, that car is in the Los Angeles fleet, and I would like to do that. Mm-hmm. But we really want to get in at least any version of the 124 and put that up against the Miata RF. That's going to mm-hmm. be talk uh, about Miata alternatives. Yep, definitely on our minds definitely. as well. Uh, so it's going to be soon. We do have the 124 Spider. The Abart is uh, that's got to be up there too, though. So uh, coming soon. We'll we'll just put it on there. Uh, we'll we'll say coming soon. But yeah, I'm very intrigued by that car, especially after. The accolades that I've been reading that car is getting just because you can hang on to speed, it seems like. I mean, we love fast cars, but, you know, sort of like your FRS, the more speed you can hang on to, kind of the more fun it is to drive. You know, it's you got to work for it. So I think so. I, I think the working that. for it is interesting. I, again, I've already said a couple times in this podcast, I am not normal, but I do like having to work for the fun in a car a little bit, uh, <laughs> which actually uh, relates to um, yet another uh, question that we had here. 
Would you rather, if you live in a flat, boring place, Austin writing in, with no corners, would you still get satisfaction driving a lighter, nimbler car like the FRS, or would it, that move us into a preference for heavier, more powerful cars? Austin, I remain strange. I, the thing about a small car is, even if you've got straight roads, there's, a, there's an engagement. There's a dart through traffic. It feels small around you. There is a middle ground here, I will grant you. I mean, I grew up in Houston, land of the straight roads. There's a middle <laughs> gran- ground, I, I, I grant you, where when you have no real corners except for on-ramps. And by the way, in Texas, you want to see spaghetti on and on, on and off-ramps. The tallest thing in most cities in Texas is the on and off-ramps. The freeway interchanges are this big spaghetti thing that goes up six stories and yeah, crisscrosses. Those are kind of cool. That, Those definitely. are kind of cool yeah. until they freeze over and everybody slides down both sides of them. Prior <laughs> to that, they're very cool. But but here's the thing, Austin. If you live in some, somewhere flat and boring, my question to you is, if you have something crazy powerful, let's just go there, Hellcat, how much of it are you going to get to use? Because I don't care if it's flat and boring. You're not going uh, floorboarded on that car for more than a couple of seconds. Otherwise, you're now at arrestable speeds. So... Hmm. I still think there's something satisfying about getting a car that you have to kind of wrench the fun out of and you discover that it is fun because it feels small and chuckable and just interesting. There is a thing where if everybody, all you're doing is foot to the floor and you drive an FRS, you're going to feel a little left behind. I get it. I think there's a middle ground where the car needs to feel a little more powerful because all you're doing is straight roads, but crazy powerful, you're never going to use. Yeah. I mean, as you said, I think there's a balance here. I I feel like ugh, somewhere in the Cayman 911 range. I hate to keep coming back to that, but I mean, Paul went to Porsche. Gee. For those of you that are drinking, <laughs> I just heard you thud over. You've passed out now. I'm sorry. I apologize. Well, okay, mm-hmm. I'll go to Lotus. How about an Evora? That's a far more powerful car, but still yeah. pretty comfortable. I mean, Craig commutes on the freeway in his, and that's yep. still yep. just nimble, darts through traffic. But you can cruise. You can just slot it into gear and just mm-hmm. kind of cruise, and it's mm-hmm. big enough you can. Yep. where it's got a, you know a long enough wheelbase. I think that's the main thing for comfortability, you know, long distances like that. I'm not thinking big Mercedes sure. E-Class or something like that. I mean, sure they're fun, but I'm with you. I, I want something just a little bit le- bigger than an Elise or an FRS that could have more power. I mean, I don't think an Alpha 4C would be fun to commute in, but an Avora would. Well, I love you're almost you're almost speaking to the M M cars. M three is a fantastic yeah. flat yeah. road p- car because the, these those big Germans are built for the autobahn. So they're built for this isn't about corners. This is about straight line speed. We're gonna saw through miles. Now, unfortunately, since we don't have any of that in the U S., you're not gonna really use everything that car can do. But those those big, powerful, nice German sedans are awesome for that. So I can see that for sure. This does relate to Brian's question. Brian, you wrote in on Facebook and said, would we rather have, you probably know this answer, would we rather have a 50-minute boring interstate commute or an 80-minute back road commute? As much (laughs) as I hate to get up in the morning, I will take the 80 minutes. I will too. Let's do more of that. (laughs) I'm with you. I mean, that just means more driving, and I don't see a problem with that, to be honest. I, Yeah. All right, jumping ahead in questions here, Chris S. is asking, if Todd and Paul were forced to combine forces (laughs) and purchase one car to own together, Uh what car would that be? I have an answer. 
I've I think thought I do of one. Two. I think I do too. Okay, what's yours? I'm curious if it's the same. What's it's, yours? Uh, we have not talked about this. What no, is we haven't. We have not consulted in any way. It's like a magic show. We've never met before, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> we, we can't argue that. But yeah, keep going. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to say it's the Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio. Ooh, that is a good suggestion. I was not going to say that, but that is a good suggestion. It is I could rather s- timely. But yes, I could see us buying that and sharing it. I see your point. I see your point. We'd be we'd be ready for the other to get done with it. Let's put it that way. Well, but what I read in Chris's question, I didn't read a, a budget limit here, so I'm no. reading that into your question here, Chris. Oh yeah. But yeah. I but I was still imagining a car that that we we stretched and we can say we really have that, but we stretched and we got it together. And I'm going to go McLaren 570. Oh, we're going there, are we? Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, delightful. That is is kind of the rare brand and the rare specific model of a specific brand that both of us are like, when can we have that car? Yeah. When could that be in my garage? And we can't. So I could see, I mean, we just can't even begin to discuss affording that car. Are you kidding? But but that is really, I mean, we could go, and I know you're not surprised to hear this, we could get into minutia, breaking down why <laughs> one of us likes any car you can think of, and the other one goes, eh, but that for that reason, I don't like it. I mean, this is why the Porsche and Lotus thing rages between the two of us. McLaren, the 570 specifically, because we like that interior, we're just both all about that car. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. one we would buy and, and share and be thrilled. You're right. I, we're both all about that brand across the board. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Yep. That is that is a very aspirational car and brand. I and strangely enough, Ferraris are cool, but I've just become more and more, you know, just because they're so unobtainable and the snootiness yeah. and that whole thing. And McLaren does not have that. They just don't so come far, across to me. Without it. You're right. As you know, what these are investment vehicles, and you know, don't ever drive it. And we're no, they'll sell you a car. You want a car? We've got cars. We will sell you a car yeah. happily. Yeah. Uh, what can we do to make your car better? What would you like? They're expensive and they're brilliant, but wow. I, I just I like that, that perception. I really do. Agreed. Agreed. Speaking of that, I happened to I, – I was I went out to lunch with, with a friend today, and on my way back, I realized I was like three blocks from the Salt Lake Ferrari dealer, and I hadn't been in there in a while. So I pulled up. It, there, there is something incredibly hysterical and ironic, by the way, of pulling up to the Ferrari dealer in a very loud orange FRS and getting out because you know the salespeople are like, yeah, ignore that guy because who are we kidding? But I walked <laughs> around anyway, and in the back corner was a Ferrari 599 SA Aperta. Now, if you don't know what that is, that is a hardtop convertible one of 80 in the world special edition 599. That is an incredibly rare car. We happen to know the owner. We've actually sat in that car. I was shocked to see it in the Ferrari dealer in Salt Lake. I don't know if he's really selling it or he's showing it off, but it had one of those available for sale without a warranty. Storing it. Stickers on it. Yeah, he might just be storing he's it with that sticker on it as an excuse. Because okay. one of 80, that is a rare, rare car. And I saw it from across the room. was like, that's not really sitting there, is it? So I did post that picture on Instagram because I was so shocked to see it anywhere outside of this guy's garage uh, because he fought to get it. So I was amazed it was there. I wonder if it's really for sale. And I asked, and the girl behind the desk, she admitted to me. She said, yes, that is whose car that is. That is exactly what you think it is. 
I know it's listed as for sale. I don't know how serious he is. Mm-hmm. All of our research suggests, are you ready? Those cars are selling for $1.5 million and up. What? What? Yep. yep. <laughs> She's, she was claiming market value for that car was about one five. So, wow. Anyway, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Which has got to be, it, it has to be more than double, maybe triple what it actually cost. I mean, you had to be, and this guy is, you had to be a special Ferrari owner, owner of many, many Ferraris, kind of like their Tour de France thing they sold as well. You had to be a very special special Ferrari buyer to even get on the list because 80 of them were made. But now wow. $1.5 But this is, this is a guy that doesn't need that money. He's not desperate to sell it. No, you're he right. He doesn't need the no, money. No, you're right. He could buy he, he likes the cars. easy. He likes the cars. You're right. It's frightening, <sighs> but it's true. Um, so anyway, so that happened. Uh, uh, speaking yeah, yeah, of buying yeah. cars, did you see Bogdan's question? I loved this. I loved this. I, I did. Get it I've been waiting to get Todd, to this. Todd, what car, <laughs> what car would you buy? So he's asking me, what car would I buy Paul that he has to keep for the rest of his life, but it's more of a prank car than a car I really think he loves? And then, of course, he wants Paul to do the reverse. And I thought about this for a while. Because the other thing I thought of is I want to buy Paul a prank car. This is kind of – it's not a revenge car necessarily, but it's just a gotcha and now you can't get rid of it car. But but I gave this an extra extra rule though, Paul. Because oh, you did. there's a part Uh-oh. of me that thought – there's a part of me that thought I could think of a lot of cars I could get you that we both think are terrible, that are terrible cars, and now it's just a gotcha. I was trying to think of what's a car that's actually a good car, but I would give it to you and you would still be disappointed. You'd still be like, Really? <laughs> I've got to keep that. Okay. And I thought of one. Oh, you did. A genuinely good car that I could give you and you'd just be like, but now i got to store it and I'm never going to drive it <laughs> and I just don't really like it. And I know it's good and I know you like it, Todd, but I just don't care. In a Miata. <laughs> I could hand you the world's nicest in a Miata and you would slump your shoulders and sigh at me and be like, i got to keep that. Really? <laughs> You're right. I yeah. And I good. would come drive it. Fun. I would just come drive it. I just and it would sit let and you. collect dust in your garage. It'd yeah. sit until the next time you came and drive it. That's what would happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I <laughs> I'd not insure it in the hopes that it would be crumpled <laughs> and destroyed <laughs> and never fixed and thrown away and burned. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have it so long my son could inherit it when he has kids. Yes, exactly. It would still not be driven. It would be your equivalent of a barn find, which, by the way, would be nicer than most people keep their actual cars they drive, <laughs> but your equivalent of a barn find. Could I, like, plant it in the earth and call it art? You know, like the You probably Cadillacs would. You probably would. Spray paint it weird Yeah, so that was my answer. Great question. Car. I thought about that for a while, and I thought, I've got to <sighs> give him something that's genuinely good that he still doesn't want. That's the hard part. <laughs> I just wanted to get something that is just embarrassing to be seen in. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I've got a Murano convertible now, aren't I? Okay. Keep going. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> I I was thinking <laughs> I was thinking of a Plymouth Prowler, actually, from, from 1997. There you, know, you go. The retro hot go. rod with the giant mm-hmm. bumpers on the front and just who drives this yeah. car? Yeah, or, you're right. You know what? You're a right. Chevy SSR, the convertible pickup truck that was all there retro when Chevy Perfect. went through its retro phase and they just mm-hmm. work. Yeah. 
but they, you yeah. know, they've got the towing capacity for like a jet ski and nothing better. A bike, a, a bicycle bike, on the trailer hitch. That's yeah. pretty much what it is. Yeah. It's a convertible retro factory hot rod. You're right. That is actually worse than the Prowler. The Prowler has a little bit of, I can't believe they made that. The, yeah. the SSR has a, has a category of burn it with fire. I mean, it really just has yeah. that kill Maybe an SSR. So, just because yeah. the yeah. ugly okay. retro thing and it's. Yeah. What are you driving? What are you thinking? What are you doing driving this thing? Get out of that car. I know what Come you on. I know what you'd do. You'd get me the one as much as I like bright cars. That car in yellow with the bright lipstick red interior is one of the most awful factory combinations I've ever seen. I've sat in that actually and thought, really? Who is this for? And apparently now, thanks to this question, Bogdan, it's for me. Or so awesome. Nissan mm-hmm. Murano convertibles that are teal with the tan interior and maybe like twenty eights on it. Chromed out 28s. There you go. What wagon you wheels. That's totally. what it needs. It needs wagon wheels. Uh huh. And keep the same I little a... tiny brake so it has a lot of trouble coming to a halt. You know? Uh huh. And looks re- looks absurd. Looks like a wagon. Yeah. Totally. I, I got to really work on my, you, you know, you want this nod, which I've, I've never been good at. I got to really work <laughs> on that if I'm going to drive either of those cars. Yeah, and what I really ought to do is I really ought to take my hair and go the full dock brown and actually just, just make it white. And then drive that car. That's, mm. That really just brings the whole picture together, doesn't it? We're all frightened. As long uh-huh. as you blast Mariah Carey while you're driving, that's the only you know last it. thing you know that it. you got to do. Perfect. I'm telling you. Perfect. Well, we've, we've painted a picture there, haven't we? Many wow. people have left the podcast now horrified. <laughs> They're going to have PTSD. Stop this, this crazy, podcast. weird podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to touch a more on design here, talking about – Good. Uh, please do. Talk about floating roofs from Alex Mataloni. He's asking me about my opinion on the floating roof design feature. Okay. From a designer's perspective, what does this add to the overall design of a car? The floating roof, I think you're talking about the blacked out roof, I believe, where you're you're blacking out just the, the section of the roof. Kind of like the mini. It's already a mm-hmm. separate piece. And either that mini coupe with the backwards turned hat kind of thing or whether it's just completely blacked out. I believe that's what you're talking about, Alex. Like uh, the black pillars. You see it on the big the big Jaguar as well where the black pillars yes. and just got color on the roof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct, correct. The new Camry, everyone, will have this feature as an Perfect. option. So you can get this blacked out roof that corresponds – the paint line corresponds with a feature line and the C pillar in an effort – to I don't know to, to what finish that sentence in an effort to what yeah okay. here's the I deal mean, Alex I, yeah. when you see blackout sections of a car you usually see it down low in the rockers because it reduces mm-hmm. the visual height of the car up to the shoulder up to the window line DLO and designer speak that's daylight opening so up to the DLO <laughs> and then up to the roof line so it's all about proportion you're playing with okay, I'm blacking that section out that's closest to the road because the road is dark. It's dark under the car, and it visually mm-hmm. reduces the height of something. So you see this on Range Rovers. I'm going to the site, Range Rovers, and you'll see this a lot. That's a tall body side, and so they'll add some some cladding down low just to reduce that side. Yeah, cut it down. Side mm-hmm. to DLO proportion. On the roof, it's a it's a choice. It's a It's just a different kind of a thing. I don't like it on the Jag XJ personally. When the car's mm-hmm. all black, then it actually looks cohesive. They've ruined sure. a beautiful silhouette line. That is a long, beautiful car that would mm-hmm. actually help. And I thought, well, if I own that XJ, 
I would take that stupid black panel off and have it painted body color and stick it back on. And then it would actually look cohesive. But then, you know, of course, you'd have the the uh, shut lines, the breakup of that panel for no reason. I don't like sure, that. Sure, So for, yeah. for something like that, it makes no sense to me. Ian Callum was lauded as, what a brilliant design and blah, blah. He was talking about bringing that, that backlight. So the rear window is called the backlight, and mm-hmm. that's all the way across. I don't think it works on that car, and I think they screwed up the design. On something mm. like the Camry... It makes it look a little tiny bit more sporty, maybe. And that's kind of where I think they're going. There's some sport influence combined with mostly luxury. I think that's kind of where things are going. But this is, again, just paint. And it's an mm-hmm. option. And I, Camry's sporty, only the NASCAR version. And that's not a Camry. <laughs> that's a roll cage wearing a giant V8 with some yeah. sheets yeah, of... Yeah mylar attached to it that looked yeah. vaguely like a camry and with logos everywhere quasi camry body panels yeah fair point fair <laughs> point yeah i get that uh yeah the nascar cars are actually heavy if you don't know the cage is nearly indestructible nowadays at least but uh yeah, yeah. I, I it's it's hard it's a design choice it comes out of renderings it comes out of a huh that adds kind of a sporty flavor you see that on ferraris so you'll see the black roof mm-hmm. on various ferraris the Stradales and that kind of thing, again, adds a level of competition, sport, something like that. Is it necessary in a Camry? Not really. It's just another <laughs> choice. But, but from the people that bought, that brought you the spoiler on the back of a Corolla because that made it faster, I, you know, that's, that's true. It, it, it's downforce. from the same line of thinking. Let's plant yes, that Corolla to know. the road. We don't want that coming off the let's, road on its. Let's plant those rear wheels in our front wheel drive car because that's important. <laughs> Yes, make sure those rear wheels don't come up. We got to keep them glued to the road. Sheesh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Ross wrote in. Ross always has some good questions. He wrote in and he said, "What car on sale today that isn't sporty needs a hotter version more than most?" Corolla RS. Corolla RS. Okay. Corolla GTS. Right. There you go. No, it just doesn't but roll I, off the tongue, I, does it? I can't keep a straight face. It I can't really do doesn't. It. I have one that I really I really want to see, and it's the Chevy Cruze. Where is the hot version of the Chevy Cruze? Hmm. Because Ford has got a hot version of what what car park, part of the market are you shopping in? You have twenty grand, we can get you a hot car, all the way up to you know the hot Mustang, the the GT three hundred and fifty and the three hundred and fifty R, and then of course jump from there to the GT. They've got it covered at every market segment. Chevy, starting with the Camaro, gets you covered for a ways with the Camaro and the Corvette. But what's below the Camaro? Nothing. Mm. That Chevy Cruze is mm. good looking. It's a good. It's a well selling car for them. I don't understand why Chevy isn't putting out a performance version of that car to give them some sort of player in that market segment. They don't have one. And I don't understand why they don't have one. I think it's market share lost. Look, it's not going to be a big selling car, but you've got the platform with multiple engines available. This isn't even a big leap. I say Chevy Cruze. That's the one I want to see. Hmm. They could easily do it. They've got loads of stuff. I mean, Ford is doing that already. They kind of make a performance version of every single model they make. I know. Including trucks. I know. They're already sort of there. What about that two-liter turbo that's in the ATS? Where's that in the Cruze? I'm I'm just talking Chevy lineup here. ATS, two-liter turbo in the Chevy Cruze, 
Um, when can I have that? Let's make that car. Hmm. I, that engine has to fit. It has to. Ross, I come to Honda. Honestly, I've been really ready for something hot and fun from Honda. They don't have a particular model that I think needs to be, I don't know, modified or hot-rotted or anything like that. They just need another S2000. They need another something, a super competitor, a, okay. a halo car that's affordable. The NSX certainly fits that, right? I mean, a loaded sure, with technology, sure. all that kind of stuff. But this is now supercar, and it's going to be speculative and you know all this kind of stuff. Owners just brag they own the new NSX. Whereas I feel like the yeah. first gen really kind of appealed. Like, you know what? I could really do that car. It's not the cost of a Ferrari. I really could get that. Mm-hmm. What is in there? There's got to be something, something that is lightweight, nimble, or just... You know, the classic recipe, the British Roadster recipe sure. that the S2000 sure. does so well. Where yeah. is that from Honda I mean, anymore? I can see that. It'd be cool to see them come out with something else and just show their prowess in that area and compete in that area like they used to. I mean, look, we can't ignore the, the Honda Civic SI and the upcoming Type R. I mean, they, they are playing in that world, but I take your point. They're not playing in the rear-wheel drive world they used to pretty well, I much guess that's what I mean, people a, a rear-wheel drive that's, yeah. you yeah. know, classic. I mean, you're right. The, the Civic SI certainly super hot mm-hmm. performance car, but it just – it it's not for everybody. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. It's sure. It's not for the Mercedes GLA AMG buyer. It's you know what <laughs> this I mean. This is true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. Something a little bit more sophisticated because Acura's certainly got boredom. Voorsville, nothing as far as the enthusiast. They claim super handling all wheel drive, but. Eh. But enthusiasts aren't running to Acura. As much as we like them, this is not a brand that enthusiasts run to, and that's not their target. I totally get your point. I do get your point there, yeah. Hmm. Well, I have only one more on my list. I don't know if you have any others on yours, but I have one more on my list that I first read and was like, I don't know the best answer for that. And then it struck me as, no, wait, I have the perfect answer. Oh, you do? Okay. For Linus Yates' question for Facebook. The most fun you've ever had in a car that isn't really a fun car. Huh. And I'm going to specify, Linus, you do mean driving <clears throat> and not other activities. So I'm going to stay with driving a car that shouldn't be fun and yet I had a blast. And I was thinking stuff through and then it dawned on me. When we were in Germany last year, we okay. had a nine-passenger transit van. <laughs> 150 you went there? horsepower. Uh, yes, because, you and, and you know there? why? I'm going to tell the story, but you know why? 150 horsepower, five speed, was it five or six? I think it was five. Five speed uh, manual transmission, not powerful. It was, it, was a, it was a big brick on wheels. It was practically diesel. a billboard and a diesel. crosswind. It was diesel, just, just to make it better. It was diesel too. But here's the thing. Paul and I were driving down a back road trying to get from two places. Everybody else was on the fun road tour. And we're trying to get to two places. It's just the two of us in this big, enormous, cavernous, practically echoed van. And the road quit being paved. And now we're on a dirt section. It's like a, like a ground up, they're going to repave it, but haven't yet dirt section. Okay? And we're hammering down this section. And I get about three quarters in, and Paul looks at me. I'm driving along. Paul looks at me just... Straight faced. Because the thing you guys have to understand is we've had many situations where one of us has scared a passenger. I don't know the last time either one of us 
while in the rare times we ride together, has ever scared the other one. We just are just like, oh, you're doing that <laughs> now. We're funny. just we're so nonplussed by the others driving. We're just not impressed at all. So Paul looks at me deadpan and goes, uh, "Are you drifting the van?" <laughs> And I, I cackled. I cackled like a teenager. And I said, yes, sir, I am. Uh, because it was just perfect. It was this rear-wheel drive, brick on wheels with not great tires, but yet something about just perpetual motion, keeping my foot in it, keeping the speed on this dirt little road. It just drifted so nice. I mean, I'm not talking huge fishtaily, you know, slow motion drifts, but just that little bit of rally drift was happening on these corners as the yeah. whole van was slinging itself around. And I remember thinking, who knew? Who knew we would come to Germany, drive the Nürburgring, go to Belgium and drive Spa, have these amazing drive days, and on the day that you and I thought we'd have no fun at all because we were driving the transit van while everybody else was on a road tour. I'm actually cackling with laughter on some random German back road because I'm drifting the van. <laughs> and only slightly louder than his cackling is the sound of my eye rolling over in the passenger seat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really? This is this is where yeah. we're at. Yeah, I wish the cameras yeah, were rolling exactly. at that point because that would have been funny to go in the film. It would have been yes. Here we are drifting the van. But anyway, yeah. I keep teasing you when whenever you sell a car or a car comes up for sale. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. CPO means something different on this program. CPO on this program is not certified pre-owned. It's certified Paul owned because I'm telling you, if Paul is ever selling a car, that's the version you want to buy because it's pristine. Well, it's because. Car, cover your car. Keep it nice. Well, yeah, that's I'm a true. huge that's believer true. in this. I mean, we're talking about if you don't have a garage or the car has to stay outside or you have too many cars. Mm -hmm. There's some of you <laughs> listening that have too many cars, by the way. Yep. And one winds up outside. And what do you do? You have to cover it. If you're in any kind of weather or that car, especially sits outside all the time, you've got to cover it just to keep it nice. Certainly, if you're trying to compete with Paul, you're going to have to have a cover. <laughs> well, Covercraft has the car covers that not only fit your make and model, but they've got different fabric selections depending on whether it's going to sit outside in sun-baked California or Arizona kind of weather or the snowy <laughs> yeah. Utah weather that we've got here. They've got a range of fabrics there from Kimberly Clark all the way to lightweight indoor protection stuff, pickup trucks. They've got sunshades as well, which I'm a big believer mm -hmm. in. They fit perfectly because, again, they're tailored for your car. And they've got dash mats as well, all available at Covercraft.com. Episode number two plays on Saturday. And the full season is in swing on Velocity Channel, so check that out. We've got DVDs, or excuse me, Blu-rays of discs of all we four do. of our films as well. Please mm -hmm. look that up. Vimeo, you can download and rent. And Amazon, you can buy the Blu-ray for all of our films. Check that out. Otherwise, we really, really appreciate you guys listening, following along. And, uh, man, this has been a lot of fun, actually. So looking Absolutely. forward to next time, guys. Yeah. Cheers.